As we have ended a Sermon on the Mount series, I thought we need to tackle some issues. And then uh, some of you, when you hear the word theology, it's kind of stuffy. It's almost like the, the word doctrine also, too. Um, I just remember when I was fired up as a young person during college years. I was so passionate that my prayers are forceful, and I really literally got up in the middle of the night and prayed, and there was a revival going on. A mentor of mine, who's very calm, came along with me and shared some insights and recommended me some books, some theology books. So with all, all my fervency, I said, is theology that important? And then he looked at me and said, yes, Paul. It will be like having a compass in your journey to know where you go rather than you just know the next step. I didn't understand fully, but now as a pastor of this church, I'm keenly aware that I need to speak on this. And my challenge this morning is, since most of you have this kind of a background that theology is boring, doctrine is too stuffy and static and too dogmatic, uh, I need to do it in a way that it's pull the strings of our hearts. And what, what is better way to do it and share my own heartstrings. Recently, on a Facebook, I saw this Facebook post that caught my eyes. And the several people, you know, one of those are threads, 59, I, I counted, I looked at it, and 59 comments, and ongoing comments. Wow, what's going on? So I read, post is really long. And I don't even have the slide for it because to keep the uh, respect his pri privacy, and I, I just want to read some portion of it that I brought. When you're a pastor, you get to be Facebook friends with those people you don't really know. And he's one of those people. I just know that he's in the circle of Christian ministry. Uh, maybe somewhat disillusioned about all these church movement stuff as well. So the first line caught my attention. He writes, I'm just not, I'm just not sure anymore. I go to church every Sunday with my family, but I become keenly aware of a message that's being taught that I just don't believe it is helpful. Maybe I'm just oversensitive about things as I reconstruct my faith. Maybe it's giant log in my own eye as a judgmental and critical person. Or maybe I'm starting to realize that what we call people and ourselves shapes how they see themselves, how they feel, and ultimately how they act. 
If the constant underlying message is you're a sinner and you can't do a, anything, you can't do anything without God, guess where most of us get stuck? I'm just a sinner. I can't do anything. And he goes on, what about the goodness that in the creation God said, good, 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 and Adam was created? He exclaimed with very good. What can we start there? Positive message. What can we be love-grounded church? It sounds original, right? But the, the reason why it sounds so familiar is it is the cultural trend and the symptom of bad theology. If we learn to think and connect all the dots. After that, you might disagree, but I believe most of us see all the connected dots and thinking theologically with sound mind, oh, that makes sense. I didn't see that. It's almost like looking at jigsaw puzzle, and we have only portion of it. It doesn't make sense. And we reject the puzzle picture altogether. And there's another reason why we reject theology and doctrine. Because the postmodern generation is obsessed with personal things. The world is going crazy right now in the in United States. But most postmodern generation, younger the people are, as long as it, does, it doesn't affect my daily life, and the older people will say, it will affect your daily life. So is theology important to you? By theology, I don't mean that you are, you are to be a biblical scholar or full-time minister who understands Bible from front end to back end. By theology, I mean, do you understand the scriptural guidance it's all connected, becomes a perspective and paradigm through which we need to see everything. And today, we're starting with a very basic thing. How do I understand who I am? What's my identity? What's my worth? How do I understand my relationship with God? So let's start with this. Why is sound theology so important? Well, let me give you a presupposition first. So if you say I'm biased, I am biased. Our church is unapologetically biased on this. Sound theology means we uphold and submit to the supreme authority of Scripture as God's infallible, inerrant word, that it is our ultimate superseding authority on our beliefs, what we believe, and on our conduct, everything we do. So that's sound theology. Uh, so there, there's the uh, un unsound theology or bad theology. So you close the book and you think on your own, and whatever that comes to my, your mind, that new age is open theology, like that. 
But with that in mind, with that in the presupposition, why is sound theology so important? Number one, it keeps us God-centered rather than man-centered in our beliefs, perspectives, and everyday life as a Christ follower and as a local church. Why is that so important? Because the man-centeredness is all about changing values. Uh, the world in 50, 60 years ago, let's say some of you might have remembered Leave it to Beaver generation or my three sons or father knows best. That's even older, right? And then now, the American culture, mainstream and church culture has changed drastically. Right? But if it is God-centered, God does not change. The unchanging character of God is the premise of God's faithfulness. He is trustworthy because he doesn't change. Number two, it not only keeps us God-centered, it sharpens us to be vigilant against the heresy, against false teaching, any distortion of Christian gospel, the gospel of Christ, along with influences of worldly wisdom, these are quick fixes, not just for the everyday life, street smart, getting shortcut with, by all means, but even in church culture, it, this could happen. And lastly, cultural pressures for compromises and complacency. I belong to a, a pastor's group. I, I like this pastor's group because this is not pastor support group shares good strategy and technique and methodology. We come together as Christ followers before we are pastors. So we get to share our brokenness, our discouragement, as well as our joy personally. So as we share, there's a lot of brokenness among the... These, these are pastors from very prominent church around here. And they're very, in, in a kind of conventional standard, very successful pastors, well-known pastors. But as, as we hear the broken stories, it is a reality of our lives. And I, as I become more aware of the cultural pressure, the only uh, reminder that helps me when I think about that monthly meeting, oh, I'm maybe too busy. The reminder is this, if I don't go and share what I need to share, I'll, I am going to be dangerous. 
there will be a sign of, side of rationalization going on, hardening of hearts, pushing things away. So I go, what can I share in this meeting? Some things that I cannot share. It's not healthy for me to share in my men's group, but as a pastor thing. So I always come away, oh, good thing I came. And the statistics is alarming. And I'm not talking about just the regular people who are disillusioned about church, but the pastors who have been leading this movement. And recently, just past week, I saw an article about young pastor in, in his 40s and became one of the fast gr fastest growing church, got burnt out. And in front of the church, I resigned. I'm sorry I disappointed you, but I am tired. I quit. What happens to the gospel of Christ being rest, restful, and being really the joy of our life, the most treasured joy? And the important thing for us to, to look at is it doesn't just require one Bible verse, like a fortune cookie reminder for our brother uh, Pillow and all of us, for us to continually fight the good fight, we need sound theology. And third and last, it guides us to shift from fuzzy, guided, misguided thinking to clear, scripture-guided thinking in following Christ. And today, the reason why I chose this, uh, self-denial, is self-denial is one of those fuzzy, misguided thinking that happens all the time, including the Facebook post that I just read. The two Bible passages come to my mind. I'm not sure about you, but this, this will be a good reminder for us to, to be assured into this mini-series. It's only three-part series. The first one comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. Apostle Paul writes, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Another passage is from Galatians 1. To the church in Galatia, Paul writes, in chapter 1, verse 6 and below, I am astonished that you are so quickly asserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But if you, if even, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one who preached to the one we preached to you, 
let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone, he, anyone is preaching, preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So why self-denial? Today's passage, Luke 9, is, uh, gives us enough good reason to pay attention. Verse 23, Jesus says, And he said to all, if anyone, who, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take of his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So qualification of not only becoming a disciple of Christ, we're talking about saving from the eternal damnation. Jesus says, unless you deny yourself, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot be born again. You cannot be saved. So why is it so important? Self-denial is a mark of a true saving faith. It's a matter of life and death, not just in this life, but in the life to come in eternity. The strange thing going on, cultural changes and pressures, you know what that is? All you have to do is believe in Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. Say the sinner's prayer. Then what's going to happen is that you, you will be equipped. Everything else will come afterwards, later. Sounds so far so good, except that self-denial is not required as a true saving faith. What happens is, oh, that's one of those stuff that will come later as you get spiritually mature. So you cannot deny yourself right now. It is still okay. No, just read it. When Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Another word is this. Oh, when I became a Christian, I did deny myself. I repented. I received Christ. So it's past. Now read it again. Anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. That means today, as a Christian, we need to deny ourselves as we follow Christ. And the fuzzy thinking begins to happen. Why? What does it mean? Am I losing myself? I, there's no Paul Kim anymore. Just I stop thinking everything. I just believe whatever the Bible says. I become a little zombie and a robot. See, the postmodern generation big picture is uh, some kind of a conspiracy going on. That some people out there are trying to control us. 
But if you belong to Christ, and if I belong to Christ, we've given the Holy Spirit. There is a genuine prompting, conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I believe if you belong to Christ, you have been prompted and convicted that you ought to deny yourself. Second, secondly, how important is it? Self-denial is not an option, but a requirement for following Christ, not just in conversion, in regeneration, birth, spiritual birth, but also living everyday life as a Christ follower and sanctification. Let me tell you this. If we do not deal with our heart issue, which is stubborn self, uh, Roy Hessian called this stiff-necked eye. The Old Testament language is uh, the God, Yahweh, calls the Israelite, you, your people are stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked that you can't even bend. The neck is stiff. Giving that sense of stubbornness and control. Larry Kraft calls this self-obsession. John Stott defines sin as self-centeredness. And no wonder in our soul care, and I really am surprised at how wonderfully people are receiving that, and Kate is, has been very instrumental and she's meeting the people. She's doing more ministry than me these days. <laughs> and they're appreciating, you know, appreciating Kate and the Larry Craft's message and the whole the things that are going on. Actually dealing, dealing with the very thing right now. In a more uh, detailed manner in our everyday life. So today... I want us to look at what it is and how, why is it so important. In the next week, we're going to find out in the big picture, how did it come to this? How did self-centeredness, the stiff-necked eye, came into our lives? And the following Sunday, and then next Sunday a little bit also too, we're going to talk about how do I deal with that? What does it look like to deny myself daily? It begins with this. Self-denial involves one of the two most important theological topics for all people universally. What are two most important things? To know God and to know ourselves. And once again, Presupposition is scripture guidance and the scripture as a highest and superseding authority. And then some people think that we just need one. And even not full picture of one, like the Facebook post suggested, why can't we just look at what Genesis said about us? 
Didn't, he, didn't God say we're good? Why do we keep our, calling ourselves sinners? Let's stop calling that because we act like sinners. It sounds so far, makes sense rationalizing a little bit, right? Rational. But when you, when you look at this, two are closely interconnected. And for sound theology, we need both. So in my temptation, in my own planning for a sermon series, I was thinking about doing the attributes of God and grace of God and mercy of God and love of God, which all our congregation will gladly receive so readily. Of course, we could put wrath of God and holiness of God as well. But what happens is grace of God, mercy of God doesn't mean much unless we really know our condition. Stop calling me sinner because I don't feel like sinner. That's the message, isn't it? But what, what if we really know Get the picture of God's point of view, who we really are. Where do we get, get it from? From who God is, knowing God. And most of us experience that message through the book of Exodus. What's the message we got? If you choose only one word out of Exodus, for that matter, entire Old Testament, descriptive word, adjective for God, what would that be? Holy God. People die, touch things, and then enter into the inner sanctum, holy of holies, the most holy place, without any preparation, without any cleansing. They die. What's the symbolism here? If God is holy, a sinful people cannot approach. And what that holiness is, is transcendent. In other words, God is transcendently different, the other, rather than one of us getting better and sinfulness with projection going on, right? So in his holiness, he's absolutely good and righteous. That's what the scripture said. We do not understand fully, but Holy Spirit helps us to experience that. What happens is, when we begin to be prompted by the Holy Spirit, have you experienced that? Not because of some light is turned off and music is going on, some fancy preachers manipulating your heart, but because, just because, you sense the holiness of God and you fall flat. Fall flat on the ground, not only in worship, but fear of the Lord. Lord, I see myself, that you are light, and I, as I come to the light, my, reveal, my, my sins are revealed, wicked heart is revealed. And woe is me, Isaiah says. Along with them, we need to say that. And Job said, I sit on the ash, we mean, symbolizing repentance, right? Declaring repentance. I see you now. At, at the same time, 
Remember what my Facebook post that I just shared says. But God calls us good. And that's a full picture of that. God has created before the fall that we are in, in his design beautiful, wonderful, taintless. But after the fall the sin came in and this is the next week part. Our heart became desperately sick beyond cure. Jeremiah 79 says. So when we call ourselves sinner or the people who are coming to Christ calling for repentance as your sinner is actually one of the truth. Total depravity and total acceptance of God and God's love for us is true. Both are true. You can't really take one or the other. So in other words, either people become so miserable and they are so uh, depressed in a way that life is, the whole life, Christ spiritual life is joyless, somber, legalistic, judgmental, or even on themselves. Or people who just want to dodge anything has to do with God's wrath and sin as if God is the one of those self-help book God that helps me be better. I hope you're with me. John Calvin, one of the reformers, I wrote this helpful thing, and I, I think he succinctly says much better than I have explained. Calvin writes, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, in so far as it ought to be redeemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two precedes and gives birth to the other. So think about knowing, getting to know God, holiness of God, not just the love of God, because the central theme is holiness of God throughout the, test, the Old Testament and New Testament as well. But the love and grace he brings it out it is also holy. In other words, transcendently different from our own love, which is very uh, conditional, limited love. God's love is holy love. So when we, are, when we find ourselves deep in sin and we don't have a capability to get up, let's be also careful the postmodern generation of being real and authenticity is the value. So what the Christians can do is, I'm broken. And in front of a whole congregation, you could share your brokenness, but as if 
It's cool to be broken that way and stay in there. God has sent his only begotten son to die on the cross so that we might be delivered from those brokenness. That's called sanctification. We become more like Christ. We become sanctified as the children of God. And the ultimate end, the perfection, completion of sanctification is when we see Jesus face to face, we shall become like him. Glorification happens. So let's not go the other way and say, yeah, well, we embrace sin and we're sinners and it's okay to be not to be okay. That's the beginning point. Somebody died for you so that your death penalty, death penalty has been lifted, replaced by his death. And you're going to do the same thing that puts you into the prison. It will be a waste of his death that we shall live for Christ and live for holiness and godliness, the pleasing. And in turn, we begin to see actually true happiness resides in following God. Would you stay with me? This is like I'm going to reap the harvest of what I've been laying so far. It's important to realize that our needs, personal needs as human, are good. It's okay to have desire to be loved, to be understood, to be recognized. It's okay to find significance in what you do in your life, meaning of life. All that is good. The problem of those two things, to knowing God and knowing ourselves, are not understood theologically per, you know, in a big picture way, what happens is those legitimate leads we have, nothing wrong with that, we begin to find, search for our own without God, apart from God. And that becomes a deadly path of destruction. In God, in Christ, the redemption, through redemption, we could find our self-worth and self-finality. And no kidding. It's not just the pain to do so that you could enjoy what you want to do. But actually, you begin to see the true happiness is here. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust and obey. Not because someone else says so, but you begin to believe. You made a full circle. So daily, you get up and choose the way of cross as your way and our way. So let's talk about some things clearly so that we begin to 
receive the benefit of clear, sound mind in theological thinking. Number one, what is it really? Self-denial. In order for us to know what is really, what it is, it will help us to what is not. Number one, it does not mean we deny our personhood. That God created us. And the, our, in his image means that as we are a person, each uh, part of the triune God is also a person. And I'm excited that a home group has a new series on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God. And the two home groups will kick off that study. And then we will get to know the third, third person. And then if we don't have the clear you know, picture of that, we begin to call the Holy Spirit it. It's him. He grieves within our heart when we disobey. And did you also know that the new covenant is an incredibly more advantageous age? Because not unlike the Old Testament believers, every New Testament believers, when we are experiencing born again, regeneration, Holy Spirit has been given to each one of us. In other words, God himself indwells within each one of us. So when we get confused, we could turn to the Holy Spirit who came alongside to help, to teach, to remind us. So when you look at the passage and some things are not clear, you could ask him. When you look at the passage, you say, some things are too clear. Well, how do I apply this? Would you speak to me what you want me to do with this passage? You could do that. So anyway, the, the self-denial doesn't mean we deny personhood. Secondly, it doesn't mean we deny our personal human needs. I think I already uh, said it enough. So um, you know, well-meaning people, some people in Christian church history, deny, try to deny the natural physical needs to sleep, uh, to eat, and especially some areas of taboo, even sexual needs. So the people actually went to, to the extreme. Of course, there is a way to train ourselves to focus on God and all the distractions and going away from noisy world and to be alone with God and silence and solitude is important. And to fast or to put a period of time is important. But what happens is they thought the more you train in an extreme measures to deny the human needs is the self-denial. It's absolutely not. And I, as I said before, um, I will be continually... At least one of those pastors 
who rally for the celebration of God. Sex is beautiful. When we are making love with our wives and with husbands, with ultimate devotion to each other, God is glorified. You don't have to turn the Jesus picture away. <laughs> Self-denial is also, it does not mean we stop thinking on our own. We stop reading books. We stop thinking and critically about things. And also, it does not mean we deny our hunger to be loved and experience meaning and satisfaction in life. So what does it mean then? Essentially, we deny our self-centeredness, which is a default mode of a human heart. And this will make much more sense next week. But uh, to borrow John Stott's word, there are two selves in, within us, the creative self before the fall and the fallen self. Even the creative self is tainted by the fallenness. Sin nature came in. But generally what... Uh, we affirm is our human personal needs. But looking at the fallen self, it is obvious. To begin with, those sinful desires we have, and pride, lust, hatred, you don't have to really discern it. You become so jealous and you become hateful. You become selfish and egotistical. All those things. But let's not forget what I'm really going at is I think most of us, if not all of us, are already convinced of those things that we need to deny. But this, a subtle self-centeredness at the root of our lives. What's a subtle thing? Self-glory, self-effort, and self-will. You could be a, such a devout Christian serving at church and ministry and reading Bible every day and still be self-centered, very subtle way. You could speak the name of God and preach the word as a pastor and evangelist, but still subtly self-centered. This is why prosperity gospel is so dangerous. Why? We become the center we are the center through which we see the whole world and judges everything. And God has to cooperate with us. Of course, we need to pay dues to God and be faithful to God. If it's necessary, fast and pray and do anything, give a lot of money to church or, or nonprofit organizations so that God can be effective in helping us and blessing us turning our children nice and healthy and well-behaved and still go to church. You see how, how subtle that is. Yes, even as a pastor, the fear of this subtle self-centeredness coming in, very sneaking in, is not exempt. When I heard from the news 
of my a friend of mine from the church, Dallas Church. Elgin knows about this. Pastor Bill fell. Bill Majors fell from the ladder when they're doing cleaning, church cleaning day or something. So he was internally bleeding in his brain. And then all these friends went up, went to him. And these are my former youth group kids. They are now in mid-40s. Um, and then called me and told me about this. The doctor said, if you are a few minutes late, he, you could've, he could have died. Because the brain has a self-protective mode. And then when the internal bleeding happens, brain disappears, goes to the back. And all of a sudden, once the certain point, you cannot retreat back. So think about this. If you look at the person, some people are egotistical and prideful, and they're lustful, and you could see their self right here, fallen self. But if you're nice and gentle, and if they're well-groomed and pastor or, or church leader, there's nothing. But let's remember that subtle self is right in the back, hiding. That's a danger and a message to, to myself and to all those of you who are so sold out for Crossway Church. John Stott's words is most helpful. I need to uh, read this. And it, it is unusual, unusually longer. I don't usually share this long quote. But I think he does it so well. And this is from his one of, one of the most uh, insightful books, theological books, which is if you endure, there will be a, so much of benefit I receive, I, I, I want to encourage you to do that. The cross of Christ. He writes this. What we are, our self or personal identity, is partly the result of creation, the image of God, and partly the result of the fall, the image defaced. Uh, the self we are to deny, disown, and crucify is our fallen self, everything within us that is incompatible with Jesus Christ. Hence, Christ's command, let him deny himself and follow me. The self we are to affirm and value is our creative self, created self, everything within us that is compatible with Jesus Christ. Hence, his, his, his statement that if we lose ourselves by our self-denial, we shall find ourselves. True self-denial, the denial of our false, fallen self, is not the road to self-destruction, but the road to self-discovery. So I was going to stop here, but some of you are questioning, what does it really look like instead of my words, George Stutz's words? So then, whatever we are by creation, we must affirm our rationality, our sense of moral obligation, our masculinity or femininity, our aesthetic appreciation, artistic creativity, our stewardship of the 
fruitful earth, our hunger for love and community, our sense of the transcendent mystery of God, and our inbuilt urge to fall down and worship him. All this is part of our creative humanness. True, it has been tainted and twisted by sin, yet Christ came to redeem and not to destroy it. So we must affirm it. But whatever we are by the fall, we must deny or repudiate our irrationality, our moral perversity, our loss of sexual distinctiveness, distinctives, our fascination with the ugly, our lazy refusal to develop God's gifts, our pollution and spoilation of the environment, our selfishness, malice, individualism, and revenge, which are destructive of human community. Our pride, autonomy, and our idolatrous refusal to worship God, all this is part of our fallen humanness. Christ came not to redeem this, but to destroy it. So we must deny it. So good, isn't it? So now the pictures are clear, coming together, and even to the Facebook post, we could gently and gracefully guide that person, or many persons who have commented left and right. This is really good thing, good picture, all together. But let's, let's focus on us, instead of start focusing on three applications. Number one, we're to realize who we are in light of our knowledge of God, or we could say reverse it. We, need, we have to realize, know the knowledge of God through who we are in Christ. So like I said, unless we become so clear of God's perspective on us and our hopelessness and helplessness and in our sinful nature, we don't have a capacity to overcome or solve salvation. God's mercy will make you cry. God's grace will be the greatest news for you. Let's think clearly in learning to apply a sound theology. Number two, we are to recognize and surrender our own self-centeredness to Christ. Remember that self-centeredness comes from all shapes and forms. Um, I could start with this. Some of you need to deny your self-centeredness and confess and go to that person who is in conflict with you and ask for forgiveness. Regardless. Not to get, I'm sorry, too back. To make peace. To choose the way of cross. Some of you need to forgive your loved ones. Starting with your husband or wife. Some of you need to forgive the distant relatives that you decide to not to see or the friend that you erase from your book of life, they do not exist anymore. I'm not saying you become best friends. 
but you cannot choose the center that belongs to God and you will be miserable as long as you live a Christian life that way. And lastly, we are to deny our self-glory, self-effort, and self-will at the root level, which means we need to discern in our doing good things when you serve at the food bank and sheepfold, uh, serving refugees in the morning and welcome team or worship team, uh, home groups and doing rotation for food. There's a subtle hidden motive or mixed motive in order to follow Christ and find true joy and test it, whether, whether really the way of the cross is foolish, foolishness, obviously, to those who are perishing, but to, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I want our church to be marked by this. The joy and freedom comes from self-denial. Little by little bit, we experience that sanctification process called becoming like Christ. And his joy becomes mine. And my joy becomes full because of his joy. Galatians 2, 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Self-denial is one word. The word that we use at Crossway is a brokenness. The, the nuance, so again, there's a semantics of two different ways of using it. Brokenness in a messed up life and all our sin, yeah, we, we sometimes use that. But when we re- refer to brokenness toward God, we're talking about willful breaking of our stiff-necked eye. The Calvary Road, some of you never heard this before, and some of you heard this so many times. So true. The sea in living in me, Christ, the stiff necked eye broken to Christ. It might be cheesy to you, but it, it just gave me a good picture. It's my neck bent and, and broken toward God, surrendered. Allow me to close this because my, my concern for our self-denial was a subtle thing, right? So many of you are committed and you're walking faithfully with Christ and you're doing on your best and making your returning to God. I'm proud of each one of you, including the ones who are slagging, who are dragging their feet. Eugene Peterson writes about something that helps us to to think about this subtle key of self. One way to define spiritual life is getting so tired and fed up with yourself, you go on to something better, which is following Jesus. 
But the minute you, we start advertising the faith in terms of benefits, we're just excavating the solved problem. With Christ, you're better, stronger, more likable. You enjoy some ecstasy, but it's just more self. Instead, we want to get people bored with themselves so they can start looking at Jesus. We've all met a certain type of spiritual person. She's a wonderful person. She loves the Lord. She prays and reads the Bible all the time. But all she thinks about is herself. She's not a selfish person, but she's always at the center of everything she's doing. How can I witness better? How can I do this better? How can I take care of this person's problem better? It's me, me, me disguised in a way that is difficult to see because her spiritual talk disarms us. The cultivation of consumer spirituality is the antithesis of a sacrificial deny-yourself congregation. Oh, Peterson is not talking about somewhere way, you know, over there in a liberal congregation. I think uh, our church is also in this kind of danger, isn't it? Pray for your pastor that I will be such genuinely, completely broken in doing this ministry. Now that our church is expanded, more people come. If I'm not broken, people, I am no different than anybody else. <clears throat> the same thing with you. You came to this church. I'm proud of you. It's really hard to church, difficult church. Too much commitment. But if you are hiding behind that commitment and doing a lot of Christian things, be careful. That subtlety of the self will make you blind, make you fall asleep spiritually. May God help us in denying ourselves. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that what you are calling us to do is not neither impossible or petty spiritual, superficial thing. We realize a truth Freedom and joy comes from self-denial because our creative self is redeemed even as we speak right now through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you remind us, prompt us this week to surrender, to believe the right things, to see the picture God has a wonderful divine plan of salvation and redemption for, for us. And for our own joy and true happiness, you call us to deny ourselves. We don't have that power. Lead us, empower us to deny ourselves this week. Pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.